turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, I hope that you can find your way in the scriptures to this chapter. And we have made our way a little over halfway through the book of Acts now in our study. And we're going to find that there is a definite shifting of emphasis and focus in the book of Acts now to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And that emphasis, that focus will continue right on through the end of this book from chapter 16 right to the end of the book. The main emphasis is going to be the ministry of the Apostle Paul, though, of course, others of the apostles were preaching and the work was going on in other places The Holy Spirit purposely puts the focus on the Apostle Paul. And we come now to the first five verses of Acts chapter 16. I want to point out to you before we read the text that the Apostle Paul is about to go through a major shift in his ministry. So he's he's gone through a shift in the sense that he and Barnabas have, have separated, have gone their separate ways, and Paul has taken a new partner named Silas, to go with him to the work. And they've now come uh, into the region of Syria and then later into Cilicia, Asia Minor, to encourage the churches and to deliver the message from uh, the, the apostles in Jerusalem to those Gentile believers. And so there's a shift in that sense, but then in the a little bit after our text, in the verses that follow our text, which we'll look at, uh, Lord willing, next week, Uh, we see that there is a a total shift in the sense of location of ministry. And the Apostle Paul's emphasis is going to shift towards what we today call Europe. And of course, the bringing of the gospel to that region has everything to do with us and why the gospel eventually came to us. And so we'll view that with, with particular interest When we get there. Now, one thing that you'll notice as we study through the book of Acts is that in the ministry, in the in the work of God, there are many ups and downs, what we might refer to as mountains and valleys. There's great victories that are won, and there's also great trials that are endured. And and you could understand what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. There at the end of Acts chapter 15, the contention between Paul and Barnabas that resulted in them going separate ways, you could view that as a valley, as a difficulty. Of course, Paul and Barnabas had been very close in the work, and they had shared together as laborers, and then it became necessary for them to go separate ways. And certainly, this must have been a bit of a burden to the Apostle Paul. We also know that there was a great attack that was coming on many of the Gentile believers because of false teachers that were circulating among some of these churches that had recently been established. And that was also weighing on the Apostle Paul. And in fact, he was going to come back to these churches to encourage them and to share with them uh, some of the things that were said there in Jerusalem so that they could continue on in their faith. So a lot of difficulties go along with the ministry. But there are also some great mountaintops that the Apostle Paul experienced. And one of those mountaintops is found here in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. And I'll point out to you that 
generally speaking, the greatest mountaintops of ministry involve relationships. They involve people. And we are introduced for the first time in these verses to a young man who had become a faithful fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul for the duration of his life and ministry. In verse number 1 of Acts chapter 16, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. I want to point out to you this morning, by way of this message, that the work of God requires the involvement of men. It is important for men to be involved in this work. Now, of course, we know every believer should be a part of the great work of God. Every one of us ought to be sharing the gospel. Every one of us ought to be living out the light that God has given to us in our daily life. But there are particular men that God calls in a special way and prepares to carry on the work of a pastor or of an evangelist. And God does this in every generation. These men are vital to the work of God. And in Acts chapter 16 we see a man brought to our attention who is just such a man. I want you to consider with me this morning this laborer that was prepared by God and who would become a great partner to the Apostle Paul in the work that God had called him to do. As we discuss this this morning, I want to remind you that there's not a one of us that is called to be a lone ranger in the work of God. We are called to a partnership. Ultimately, that partnership takes place in the New Testament church. But then sometimes God will give a particular kinship in the work, uh, an ability for a couple of people to work closely together. In this case, Paul and Timothy and Silas, and just in a little bit, Luke, the writer of this particular book, that the Holy Spirit used, would also join the team. And then there would be others who would join from time to time. But Silas, Timothy, and Luke would basically be with the Apostle Paul for the duration of his ministry, serving and laboring with him in the work that he was called to do. Notice with me, first of all, that it was God who provided this partner in the ministry to the Apostle Paul. We notice that this particular young man, Timotheus, was in the church at Lystra. He's referred to in verse number one as a certain disciple. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want to point out to you the place where this is, this is occurring is the city of Lystra. And if you go back in your memory to a message from just a couple weeks ago, 
you might recall that Lystra was the city where the Apostle Paul was preaching. And then as a result of his preaching, some of the Jews came into the city and got people stirred up. Paul was taken outside of the city and he was stoned and he was left for dead outside the walls of the city of Lystra. Lystra was a particularly difficult place for Paul to serve. And it was a place that he would refer to later as one of the places where he experienced some of the greatest trials of his ministry. But it was also this place where there was a young man who got saved and a young man who became an instrumental part of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You'll notice there that as we think about this truth, it's sometimes the places of greatest difficulty that yield the greatest fruit. Have you noticed that in your life? Sometimes we want our lives to be easy and simple and and no problems and no difficulties. But the truth is, it's often in the time of crisis or trial or difficulty that God is good to provide us with some extra fruit, some extra blessing. And honestly, we could look back on that and say, thank God for that trial, because we can see oftentimes in the rearview mirror, we can see that it was really the trial that God used to bring forth the fruit. Now, we don't know all of the details of Timothy's conversion. We know some, and we'll mention those in a few minutes. But it does seem that Timothy was saved under the preaching of the Apostle Paul there in the city of Lystra. And it, we must point out that though there was a great trial, this young man would become one of the greatest delights of Paul's ministry. Paul would even refer to him as his son in the faith. And if he had to choose between having Timothy or avoiding the stoning in Lystra, I think he would have gladly gone through the trial again so that he might receive the fruit that God gave to him in that circumstance. We know that he was already a disciple uh, when, when Paul returns, which is what makes us think that he must have, Timothy must have gotten saved when Paul and Barnabas were there before. And I want to call your attention particularly to that phrase in verse 1, he is called a certain disciple. And a couple things about that that I want to point out to you is that God knew exactly who Timothy was and where he was. And God had prepared Timothy to be just the young companion that Paul needed to be able to pour his life into, to invest his life into. And of course, this was going to yield a very special relationship Uh, almost like a father to a son. But I do want to point out to you that before this happened, Timothy was a disciple. That means he was a follower of Jesus. Before he followed Paul or accompanied with Paul, he followed Jesus. And I want to point out to you this morning, some of you young people, the most important decision that you could make in your life is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus with all your heart. You say, but I want to know where I'm going to live and what my job's going to be and who I'm going to marry and and how many kids I'm going to have. Stop worrying about all those things right now and just focus on being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Here's a young man who had decided he was going to follow Jesus. 
and through his following, the Lord had prepared him and provided for him to be a help to Paul in the ministry that God had called him to. Now his name is revealed to us in verse 1. He's called Timotheus. Other places in the scripture, he's called Timothy. We have two books in the New Testament which are, which are titled after his name, and that's because they are personal letters that were written from the Apostle Paul to this young man, instructing him in the practicalities of ministry. Those two books, First and Second Timothy, are eminently suitable for teaching young men and preparing them for the work if they are called to be pastors or evangelists because they are written in a personal sense, addressing some of the struggles and difficulties in the ministry, as well as some of the things that must be paid attention to. Now, Timotheus's name means honoring God. And certainly everything that we know about Timothy, he lived a life that honored God. Most Bible scholars believe that at this point in Acts chapter 16, Timothy is probably about 16 or 17 years old. And so we probably have a few young men in the auditorium this morning who are 16 or 17 years old, maybe 15 years old in that range, and I won't have you stand up and embarrass you or call attention to you, but if you young men in particular would think of yourselves in the shoes of Timothy and think about what this young man did that put him in a place where he was available to be used of God, it would benefit you greatly. So here's a young man who wasn't afraid to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to pause for a moment and just speak to some of our young people and admonish you and urge you and challenge you to not be ashamed to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's not cool. It probably won't get you a lot of Instagram followers. It probably won't get a lot of people tuned into your TikTok channel. But the truth is, if you follow Jesus Christ, you'll be suitable for his service. And you'll have a life that is worth living. Timothy got a hold of something in his life, and that was that it was worthwhile to follow Jesus. He became a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he was noted for his testimony. We'll look at that in just a moment, but something about his lineage or his parentage. Timotheus, it tells us, was the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess. And in other words, she was of Hebrew heritage and she was Timothy's mother. We know further from other places of scripture that Timothy's grandmother was a godly woman. Both of these women feared God. They knew the scriptures They loved God, and Timothy's mother had evidently raised him with a heart to follow after God. But we also want to point out that his family situation was less than ideal. The only mention of Timothy's dad is here in Acts chapter 16. And the only thing that we know about him was that he was a Greek. And evidently, this was well reported around. Everybody knew that Timothy's dad was a Greek. Now, I don't know what the circumstances of that reporting was or why it was that that was so significant to so many people, 
it became an issue that Paul needed to deal with with Timothy. But I am pointing out to you that it's obvious in the text that Timothy's dad was not a believer. He did not follow after Jesus. Timothy's mom was a believer, and she was a very devout Hebrew before she heard about Jesus Christ. She was a woman who invested in her son. And so it seems from the text, and you could agree or disagree with me, but I believe the text is indicating there was some level of friction in this home. There was some level of disagreement about direction. There was some level of unequal yoking in this home. And yet Timothy is being raised in this home. And the reason I'm pointing this out to you is because many times people use their home situation as an excuse for why they cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ. Timothy did not have an ideal situation, but he was still a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it was well known that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was unashamed to follow Jesus. I picture Timothy standing in a circle of his friends after the assembly on Sunday and talking about things. And I imagine what kind of things Timothy might have been talking to his other 16 and 17-year-old friends about. And I think it probably was a little different than what you would expect from most 16 and 17-year-olds. It's obvious that this young man loves the Lord. It's obvious that this young man wants to serve the Lord, and his heart is after God. Now, we see that Timothy didn't have a perfect situation, but he had a desire to serve the Lord. This morning, I want to urge you, whatever your situation, your background, whatever difficulty it is that you use as an excuse for why you can't serve the Lord, I want to urge you that there's a place for you in the service of the Lord. And just get your eyes on Jesus. You say, well, I don't know where he's going to take me or what he's going to do with me. Timothy didn't know either. But God had something very special in store for him. Finally, we see that the scripture tells us in verse 2 that Timothy was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Now, Iconium was a nearby city. And so it's obvious that Timothy had a good reputation among the brethren. The, the, the believers, when they talked, they said, that young man, Timothy, he's, he's got some good character. That young man, Timothy, he wants to serve the Lord. That, that young man, Timothy, I respect him. I, I think he's going to go somewhere serving the Lord. That's what it means when it says he was well reported of. And again, I want to address some of our young people because Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 11 says, even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. If your life is full of foolishness and full of wickedness, people will know it. If your life is full of righteousness and pursuing after the things of God, people will know it. And you can say all you want. Well, people shouldn't judge me. Well, they're just observing your reputation. Timothy had a reputation. He was well reported of by the brethren. His reputation had spread beyond his hometown of Lystra. And other churches knew about Timothy. 
I'm not sure why that was or how that came to be. Perhaps it was that sometimes Timothy visited those churches and they got to meet him and talk to him and, and they heard him. Maybe he had opportunity to open the scriptures and share what the Lord was teaching him. I'm not exactly sure all that was happening in Timothy's life, but I do know this. People noticed his testimony. And that could be said of all of us, whether you're young or old, people notice your testimony. People pay attention to your character. And Timothy was in a place where he wanted to serve God. He was pursuing after Christ. And because of that, he had a tremendous report. Now, the scripture seems to indicate that this report was brought to the attention of the Apostle Paul when he came to Lystra. And so God provided him with a partner. The second thing I want you to notice, though, is that there was preparation that needed to take place in Timothy's life. And we see that in verse 3, Paul was evidently impressed with Timothy also. And it says, him would Paul have to go forth with him. That means that Paul made an offer. And he said, I'd like for Timothy to come along with me to the work. Now, at this point, Paul has a certain idea of where he's going. Except he doesn't even know that God's about to change his direction. So in one sense, and some of you mothers could be sympathetic with this, when Paul pitched the idea to Timothy's parents and to Timothy himself, it was going to change. And of course, in those days, you didn't have email or voice over IP or WhatsApp to be able to message home and say, guess what? We're not going to Asia Minor anymore. We're going over to Philippi. We're going to Macedonia. We're going to a different place. So I don't know how all of that would have happened. But I do know this, that Paul desired for Timothy to go forth to the work with him. Now, the question this morning is, why? Why would Paul want to take Timothy with him? And you could hold your place here and turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, where we get a little bit of insight into what Paul's heart was in this situation. 2 Timothy chapter 2, you know, in that whole incident with John Mark and the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, you might be tempted to think, well, Paul is probably negative on young men. And uh, he probably is thinking, I'd rather have tried and true men. And I, I just want to make sure not to waste my time. That's not entirely the case. Because he's willing to invest in Timothy. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is later now. Paul is admonishing Timothy to do the same thing that happened to him. It says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So what was the purpose of Paul asking Timothy to go with him, to go forth with him unto the work? Well, certainly there's a part of it where Timothy is going to share in the work. But even more importantly, there's a part of it where Paul is going to invest in Timothy's life. He's going to expose Timothy to the truth. He's going to allow Timothy to be a part of the missions team. Specifically, Paul wanted Timothy with him so that he could mentor him, so that he could see him 
continue on in the work. Now, I want to say something about this mentorship model. It's very important, and I hope you'll listen. The model of mentorship is critical for the gospel going forth. If we're going to see the work of a church continue, and we're going to see the furtherance of the kingdom of God, then as a church, we must focus on this model of mentorship. Being a mentor is not primarily getting some guys into a class and standing up in front of them and instructing them, although that is a part of mentorship. But a much larger part of mentorship is coming alongside young men, and this is true for young ladies as well, and pouring your life into them. If we could call it this way, there's a, there's a term they use sometimes in the military and in other places, OJT, on-the-job training. And it's the idea that we learn best when we're actually putting into practice the things that we are learning in the moment. It's the idea that you're on the job and you have the opportunity now to apply that immediately. And this is exactly what Paul has in mind for Timothy. He wants him to go to the work because he sees the potential in Timothy's life and he wants to bring Timothy along with him, maybe test him a little bit, try some things out, instruct him, and give him the opportunity to minister himself in the work that God had called them to do. So notice that Timothy was invited to go forth to the work. Now I see in this a prioritizing by an older man of choosing a younger man and mentoring him and reaching out to him. And if I could challenge the men of this church, this auditorium is filled with young men who could benefit from your experience, your wisdom, and your walk with God. It is entirely fitting for the men of this church to walk into the circle of young men and interact with them and talk to them about spiritual things and engage them on the level of their relationship with God. That is something that God wants us to do. But there's not just a challenge to the older men, and Paul is an admirable example of this, but there's also an example for us from the younger men. Because you see, when Paul invited him to go forth, Timothy had an opportunity. He had a choice to make. And sometimes you say, well, I don't know if I could ever be used of the Lord. Could I encourage you by saying this morning, the greatest ability is availability. I'm sure Timothy could have come up with a hundred excuses for why he couldn't go with Paul. But at this time, there doesn't seem to be any hesitation in him. He is willing, he is eager, he's ready, he jumps at the opportunity, he made himself available, and as we say, the rest is history. Paul poured his life into Timothy, and Timothy became one of the greatest and most godly preachers in that first century that God used greatly for His glory. But this is all because of this model of mentorship. Sometimes we have this attitude, well, 
the young people are sitting here in the auditorium. Surely they're getting it. I've talked to enough young people to know they probably aren't getting it. They probably, it's, it's probably not connecting. You say, what is the missing element? So often the missing element is that personal touch. It's that mentorship. It's moms and dads connecting with their young people. It's, it's other people in the church showing an interest in those young people and approaching them on a spiritual basis and trying to encourage them and exhort them and challenge them. Because think about it. The 15, 16, 17-year-olds that are in our church right now in 10 years are going to be the young mothers and fathers who are raising families in our church if they stay. And we hope that they'll still be here at that point. They're going to be the ones who are raising the next generation. They're going to be the ones who are carrying forth the work. So there's a great need for mentorship to take place. Now you'll notice also as Timothy's being prepared, and of course this preparation would stretch for him into many years of of Paul instructing and, and, and mentoring him and then putting him in situations where he could practice what he was learning. And all of this was part of the plan. But there was an immediate issue which needed to be dealt with in verse 3. Timothy was willing to come, and it says that Paul took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. So there was a problem. And the problem was that because Timothy was raised in a home where his father was a Greek, he had never followed after the, the, uh, the, the ceremonial part of the law as a Jew. He had never been circumcised. And Paul recognized that because his mother was a Hebrew, this was going to be a significant problem for him. He knew that this was going to cause an offense for the gospel. Now, bear in mind, circumcision... And, and the ceremonial law is not necessary. And that had already been dealt with at Jerusalem. There was no need for the Gentiles to follow that ceremonial law. So this had nothing to do with Timothy's salvation. What this had to do with was not creating an unnecessary offense for the gospel. And so Paul approached Timothy with this subject and he said, you know, this is something which is going to be a problem down the road if we don't deal with this right now. Now, obviously, this is something which is going to cost Timothy. This is something which is going to be a bit of a sacrifice for him. But he says, you know what? Whatever is is what God wants, whatever is going to allow the gospel to go forward, whatever is going to allow me to be a part of what God is doing, I am willing to take that step. And every one of us should have that kind of an attitude towards the work of God. If there's something that is going to be an offense to the gospel or an obstacle to other people being saved, and I don't see something wrong with it, you know what? I'll gladly lay that aside so that the gospel can go forward. That ought to be my attitude. I ought to be willing to set aside my very life, if necessary, to serve the Lord. And and I want to remind you that if we're going to be used of God in the work, then we need to be willing to surrender some things. You say, what is it that keeps many young people from going on to serve the Lord? It's this issue right here. It's this issue, the issue of surrender. It's the idea, well, I have my dreams. I have my plans. 
I've got some things that I want to pursue. When I get around to it after a while, then I'll follow the Lord. I'll, then I'll surrender to the Lord. No, the Lord wants you right now. The Lord wants you to yield to Him right now. Whatever it is that He's putting His finger on, you must be willing to yield that to Him. And that is part of your preparation to serve Him. You say, well, I know that I'm not called to preach. That doesn't matter. It's not just preachers who are called to sacrifice and surrender. It's every Christian who ought to surrender their life completely to the Lord and be yielded to Him. However He uses you will be good, and it'll be best if you are surrendered to Him. So Timothy is prepared. And of course, then Timothy goes with Paul to the work. And we see in verses 4 and 5, the beginning of that, as they went through the cities... They're, they're going now to the different places where churches had been established. And the purpose is they're delivering them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And we're going back to Acts chapter 15, to the council that took place there, the decision that was made, the decree or the advice that was given by James there in Jerusalem to be delivered to these churches. And so Paul is coming back to these churches. He's encouraging them. He's giving them these things. And Timothy is there. Timothy is along in this work. He's a part of the missions team. I don't think that Timothy was just watching. I don't think he was just a spectator sitting in the crowd. Although we know that he heard many things among faithful witnesses that Paul said. So he certainly was listening. He also was serving. He was involved in this work. And we see, third of all, that because of this unique relationship, there is a propagation of the truth. And this, the truth going forth takes a twofold emphasis. First of all, in verse 5, we see that the churches were established in the faith. Now, this is important because when Paul and Barnabas had left this region, the churches were being shaken in their faith. And they were being shaken in their faith by false teachers who were coming among them and telling them, you have to become Hebrews in order to be real Christians. You have to do these things. And so they were coming back saying, no, you don't have to do these things. The decision has been made. This is what was said by the folks there at Jerusalem. And those teachers, by the way, were not sent with the authority of the church at Jerusalem. So you can be settled in your faith. There is an important ministry among believers for them to be settled in their faith. And I want to point out, and the text doesn't necessarily say this explicitly, but it is so encouraging for believers when they see young believers who are passionate in their faith, who are willing to give of themselves to serve the Lord. That is an encouragement, and it strengthens and uplifts believers. So they certainly were strengthened by the decrees that were shared, but I think they were also strengthened by the testimony of a man like Timothy coming along. So the churches were established in the faith, and it says, second of all, they increased in number daily. 
So the second part of this focus is not only were the churches established, but the churches were increasing. And what this means is that people were getting saved. People were hearing the gospel. People were becoming disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Christ. They were experiencing this growth as a result of the preaching that was taking place. I want to point out to you that growth is an outflow of the right kind of teaching and preaching. The right kind of growth. We're not talking about some kind of wildfire growth, false conversions or something like that. We're talking about people really being saved. Really being added to the church. Really becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And so these churches are increasing. And notice that in the midst of this... Here's Timothy, right in the middle of it all. He's a witness to all this. He's a part of the work. There is little that gives excitement to a young believer like being actually involved in the work. I think one of the, one of the most joyous things you can do, one of the, you know, we talk about fellowship and you're asking, well, are we having chicken wings or roast beef when you hear the word fellowship? But how about if you regard fellowship as let's go together and share the gospel with people? Amen. You know, there's something special that takes place, a bond that develops when you go together to share the gospel with people. And you begin to see God working. Maybe you pray together and you seek God's face and then you go and God gives you some good conversations, and you walk away rejoicing in what God did and and sharing together about the goodness of the Lord, there's a bond that develops. There's an opportunity to be able to mentor, to disciple some young believers and bring them along in that work. And certainly Timothy is experiencing all of this, and all of this in his life is going to end up bringing forth tremendous fruit. Down the road, Timothy will become a man who is regarded for his faithfulness. A man who is regarded for his giftedness in sharing the word of God, in teaching and preaching. Even today, we regard Timothy as one of the most gifted young men in the early churches at that time. But I want to point out to you that it's not primarily his giftedness which is the focus of Scripture, so much as it is his desire to be used of the Lord. And because he made himself available, God led him in the right path. And Timothy, can you imagine this? 16, 17 years old, being invited to come along with the Apostle Paul on a missions trip, not knowing what is going to be the end of that, not knowing that at some point... In the not-too-distant future, he's going to be pastoring the church at Ephesus. He's going to be a witness to all sorts of things taking place around Philippi and Thessalonica and all of these places. He's going to be a part of that work, and God is going to privilege him. He didn't know what was in store when he said yes. He was just willing and available. And Paul, for his part was willing to take a risk on a young man. He'd already had a young man who didn't turn out so good. 
But he was willing to take another risk and pour his life into a young man with the hopes of seeing him go on and become usable in the kingdom of God. This model of mentorship is so powerful and so significant in the New Testament that we can scarcely ignore it. Now, let me speak to you for just a moment practically. We've come to a place in our Christian culture where we've assumed that the best training for ministry takes place by finding the young men who are surrendered to the ministry and sending them off somewhere to a Bible college for training. And then hoping that after a few years, they'll be able to come back and be a part of the work. And I propose to you, first of all, that's an unscriptural approach. And second of all, it's not a, a very practical approach. But there is something to be said for providing training in the church for these kind of young men who want to be a part of the work. And one thing that we ought to be praying as a church is that God would be putting his hand on men in this assembly. And don't just say young men, because God might want to call some older men too. And that would be okay. There's no problem with that. But we ought to be praying and asking God to raise up men for the work. And then we ought to be looking for every opportunity. If you are a mature believer, if you, if you are in a place in your Christian walk where you understand the scriptures and sound doctrine and you're plugged into the work of God, you ought to always be looking and praying and asking God, whose life can I invest in? Who can I encourage? Who can I pray with? Who can I challenge? Who can I invite to come with me and be a part of the work? Because God can greatly use that in the lives of our young people. What a great model for us here. And what a tremendous encouragement to have a young man like Timothy be a part of this work. Isn't it wonderful the way that God works? You say, well, has he always worked that way? Yes. He's always worked that way. For generations, this is how it's worked. There's no reason to think he's going to start working differently now. If the Lord tarries, think about this. Right here in this congregation, it's very likely there's a Timothy or two. God's got something very special for them. It's very likely that there's in this congregation right now some young people And God has some things in store for them if they'll only yield to Him and surrender to Him and follow Him. And if we'll only take seriously the task of investing in them. And may God continue to work in such a way in this congregation.